Have you ever wanted to discover what's missing in your life? Metaphysics is available to all and is part of your life even if you don't know it. Welcome to Metaphysics, a view through the veil with Barb Crowley. Together we'll explore the mysteries behind metaphysics and how to use it to have a deeper understanding and advantage in life. And now here's your host, Barb Crowley. Hi, this is Barb Crowley and welcome to Metaphysics, a view through the veil. Today we have Shai Dubali with us. He is a happiness history expert with postgraduate expertise in film and pop culture. He's a PhD researcher at the University of Leeds, UK, and author of a new book, Llewellyn's Complete Book of Meditation, published in January 2023, so it's available right now. And this book explores 35 meditation techniques that he has researched from all over the world. These techniques calm trauma, fear, uncertainty, depression, anxiety, screen addiction, while expanding unconditional joy, love, and peace, which is certainly something we need in today's world. Mm -hmm. So welcome very much to the show, Shy. <laughs> Thank you, Barb. It's um, a great joy being here. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. This is a fascinating subject, and I've gone through some of your meditations, and they're mm. all fabulous. But first, I want to ask you, what is a happiness history expert? Well, <laughs> this, this, this particular title that derives from my PhD research, you see, because uh, what I have done as a part of my uh, of my research uh, has been to to return in time, return back in time to to ancient history, where uh, where uh, the, uh, the the ancient Greeks and the ancient Indians uh, developed uh, their um, their most fundamental philosophies. So this uh, goes back in time to, uh, to uh, 2,500 years ago and 2,700 years ago. And there we find something really fascinating. We realize that, you, you know, because I'm a, a, a part of a university, a contemporary university, uh, mm -hmm. there you study philosophy only in a, an abstract way. It's ideas, it's metaphysics, mm -hmm. but in, in the most in the most impractical <laughs> way right, um, right. that is completely isolated uh, from from human life. But then when you go back in time, you realize that the ancient Greeks and the ancient Indians were interested in philosophy as a way of life, which means mm -hmm. that the, the burning question of philosophy back then was how does philosophy lead to lead to f happiness so there mm -hmm. was a, a, an immediate connection between the two and then when you begin to uh, to ask yourself so what was their answer did they come up with some kind That's of fundamental yeah. and shared answer <laughs> you yeah. realize one they all agreed or almost all agreed it's uh, i should be careful not to overgeneralize <laughs> they all agreed that one um, our mind has the power to liberate itself this means that we don't need a uh, 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 deity's grace or or some kind of uh, external force redeeming us 
we have the power in our mind to liberate ourselves, to attain our own happiness. That's one. Two, they, they realize that, that if you go back to your true and original nature, you will uh, find this, this fundamental happiness, which means that happiness is not something that is out there or at a certain point in the future, but it is all about returning to who you already are. So your mind has an innate nature of happiness. So that's why, that's how <laughs> the, the happiness history. I kind of feel like they had, well, and, and here's my ignorance. Okay, <laughs> we're going to put it out there. I feel like they didn't have as many distractions that they should have already been at home with themselves. They didn't have... They didn't have an iPhone, <laughs> screen time, you know. Um, I just feel like there was a lot of quiet time there. That uh, So it surprises me that they actually had to look at this and look into this and develop it. Where I, well, I that, guess- that's, yes, yes, yes. I, I, fully, I fully appreciate this point. And, and of course, we are... We are overstressed and uh, and hyper stimulated these days there there's no question about it nevertheless if you if you begin to to look into the, the their scriptures and their dialogues and writings and what they were uh, uh, concerned with uh, you realize that that uh, that actually their fundamental problems were not so different from from the ones we experience right now, you see attachment and fear and uh, and desire and uh, and and if you uh, read, for instance, uh, uh, the dialogues that Socrates had with mm-hmm. with Athenian uh, citizens, you realize that uh, most of them were extremely annoyed by his questions and by <laughs> his by his invitation to to search within themselves for the truth. Because mm-hmm. they were actually uh, completely engaged or completely absorbed in 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 the in their hectic mundane life and their superficial belief system, so so actually we have the same problems, the same fundamental problems, but I would mm-hmm. say yes, in an accelerated pace, yes, mm-hmm. in an accelerated sense. In a sense, though, we're, we have a lot less uncertainties here now, you know, in today's world, I would think. I mean, you know, um, I mean, their, their uncertainties was they could be eaten by a lion. <laughs> you know, yeah. <laughs> you know we're, we're pretty safe on a number of these things. But, but you talk, too, about the mind machine, which was going full blast mm. then as well. You want to explain yes. what the mind machine is? Yes, the, I, I call it the thinking machine. And, the, and this, is, this is a very interesting point because, because, yes, it is true. The thinking machine has its origin at, in, the, in the beginning of time when, when prehistoric uh, human beings started developing out of nowhere, we, we don't know why and how, this kind of self-reflective consciousness. So, suddenly they were able to, uh, to, uh, to think 
which means that they were able to reflect. So the first thing that, that, they, that they, they did, <laughs> the, the, the first use they found for this ability was to plan ahead. You see, so this means to, to search for, for the safest conditions, to, uh, to uh, create all kinds of tools that, with which you can uh, uh, protect yourself and, uh, and attack your enemies. But then the thinking machine began to, well, get, get out of hand. So mm -hmm. it began to, to, to become uh, uh, like some kind of an independent monster that, that became self-generating. This means... This here is where we find ourselves nowadays, that even when you don't have real problems, even when you are not uh, just about to be devoured by a tiger or a lion, yes. and you are safely at home, comfortably here, still your mind will keep generating a sense of problem and the sense that there is something that needs to be fixed. There's always something that needs to be fixed and there's always a, a, a greater fulfillment in the future. So, so this kind of restlessness is a result of the thinking machine becoming no longer useful, but actually beginning in a way to, to, uh, to devour us, to devour our own energy and to devour our own happiness. <laughs> so meditation helps us get that thinking machine under control, the mind machine. <laughs> The thinking that, machine. That's exactly it. This is uh, because meditation has, well, plenty of benefits and purposes. And perhaps we'll discuss these uh, later. But, but uh, I would say that the first most urgent uh, purpose or gift of meditation is to help us to finally be able to disengage from the thinking machine which uh, in, in, practical, in a practical sense, this simply means that you no longer feel that you are your thoughts. There is mm. something that is you with your attention, with your presence, with your awareness that, that uh, lives independently from thoughts that is not shaped by them and that is even not, not even affected by them. That's, that's the beginning of freedom. And the sense of relief that we experience in meditation, uh, knowing that, that there is this kind of gap, distance between us and our thoughts is, is indescribable. That's the beginning of, well, true happiness. This is what the ancients told us. <laughs> and it's also a step back from the world. So all of our fears, all of our planning, as you call it, all of it, we're stepping away, we're stepping back and going into a place that's, um, that we don't have to deal with the world. That's what meditation is to me. I'm going away now. Mm. <laughs> that, that, that's you know? so beautiful put, yes. You, you know, I, I, uh, I usually regard meditation as taking a vacation from the world. Mm -hmm. You right. see? Well, which means, of course, we do it every night. Sometimes people say it's very difficult to, to, to enter meditation and to leave my problems behind. But then I say, yes, but you go to sleep every night and you leave your problems unresolved, right? And, mm -hmm. you, and for some time you are unaware of the existence of the world. So meditation is simply doing the very same only consciously. You are aware, you are awake, and still you are, you are free from the world. I find it a very odd thing 
that this, we are not born with this tool. I mean, we're born with the tool, but we have to go to it, that it's not a natural thing. That, um, Hmm. you know, we know to find shelter, we know to find food, we know to to get safe, to clothe ourselves, to be careful against the weather. We know all of these things. And Hmm. yet, and we know these things instinctively, but we don't know meditation instinctively. And any idea why that is, why it's something that has to be learned. It's not instinctive at birth. Yeah, it should that, be. It should be. <laughs> right. That that's the great paradox, right? Because because the great meditation masters uh, throughout history, they they have told us, you are uh, you are you already have a Buddha nature. You you uh, already have this, this nature inside you. Therefore, so so why is it so difficult to return to what is natural? You see that that that's mm-hmm. the, that's the big question. So yes, there is there is a rather simple explanation. The thing is that when we when we are born, we are a, a sensory oriented, or, or or our perception very much depends on on what our senses perceive, and 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 therefore we begin to to develop a certain a certain dependency on our on the world of objects. Mm-hmm. You see the outside world. So, so, so then now, when we in, when we internalize this experience, we close our eyes, and all we see is the is the world of objects again. Now, mm-hmm. this is this is because we have we have uh, become used to focusing on only on thoughts and emotions within our inner space. My my favorite metaphor. Is when you uh, when you uh, go out uh, uh, at nighttime and you look up at the night sky. Now most people, what they do is that they notice strangely. They notice only the stars, and they don't notice the the, the vast space, dark space that actually contains these stars. The stars are just a minuscule, uh, uh, um, a, a tiny part of, of this vast space, right? Because we are so object-oriented. But yeah. so in the same way, I close my eyes and I only notice those thoughts and emotions, whereas my true mind is this vast dark space. This is meditation. It's beginning to notice this immense space, which is a great relief because suddenly you have a sense of proportions. Your thoughts and emotions are far less significant than they than we think we are they are mm-hmm. so so we are not born with the safety of the bigger picture the the concept picture we are not born i i tend to think that should be a safe tool that that we we have you know and yet we don't mm-hmm. is what you're saying we'll go for the for the the object out there of am I safe? You know, that's probably the biggest one. Am I safe? And what can get me? And what do I need to provide to keep me safe? And when right. we go to the smaller concept, not the bigger concept. And exactly. yet we've got to drive for God. We've got to drive for that mm. bigger concept. That is, mm. and they say it's wired in humans to go for that bigger concept. 
but um, yes. but not naturally. Yes. You know, it's wired to look for it, but that's after everything else is taken care of. <laughs> that, that's correct. That's be. correct. Well, I, I would so, say that, that that God speaks to us in 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 the language of suffering when we are when we are. Uh, 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 removed from this context, you see. So, so then we begin to experience uh, extreme dependency on the world. Of course, mm-hmm. we depend on the world for for certain uh, material needs, but then we begin to de- depend on the world for our happiness, for our emotional gratification, for our fulfillment, for recognition, right? For appreciation. So, so these. Uh, um, um, dooms us or, or, or leads us to a certain uh, desperate search in the world that that is actually that can only lead to to dissatisfaction. So when we begin to experience this growing dissatisfaction, we understand that perhaps this the, the solution must come from a, a certain state of independency. You see that we have this ability to generate our own appreciation, our own love, our own joy, our own, our own sense of connectedness with the universe. And still we push against it, <laughs> you know, because to sit down and meditate takes a discipline. You know, mm. it's not like, oh, I'm going to go home and meditate. <laughs> you know, most people don't think that way. It takes a discipline and, and it, it really takes a habit forming and um, work. It's like an exercise, just like an exercise. So with all of that, mm. we push against it. We mm. don't naturally go there. But, um, mm. And that is a world of energy as well. Because, we, you know, in your book, you talk about the chakra personality. Yes, yes, yes. Am I yes. jumping ahead? Am I, uh, you want to talk about anything else before we go into that, the chakra personalities? Well, I, I, would, I, would, just, I would just remark about, uh, about uh, the fact that it, we find it difficult. Uh, and this is exactly why, why I've developed this book uh, containing 35 uh, uh, different types of meditation. Uh, this is because... Mm-hmm. Uh, my feeling is that we need to approach meditation not as a duty or self-discipline because we have enough of that in our life already. You see, all mm-hmm. this sense of duty, this sense of must do, should do. <laughs> so right, exactly. Me- meditation. It's on the to-do list, yeah. Exactly. So yeah. meditation should be, f- uh, first of all, approached as a form of a- adventure, a journey, an adventurous journey into our consciousness, uh, discovering the, the many doors uh, the, uh, and, and the many keys within our own mind and within our own heart. So if you begin to, to realize how diverse the, the phenomena of meditation is, meditation can be a, a dynamic catharsis that leads to effortless silence. It can be, it can be forms of visualizations. It can be... Uh, walking, uh, it can be standing, it can be a f- form of prayer, it can even be like the Sufis do, that they revolve around themselves da- in, in, a, in, a, in a certain in a a trance-like yeah. dance, yes. So mm-hmm. meditation is, is exciting, it's colorful. It's not this, the, uh, this image that we, we keep in our mind uh, and also in, in the world of advertisement of the person sitting uh, in a cross-legged uh, uh, with a serene look, 
and and being completely silent. You see, mm -hmm. so so when we begin to to understand the the broader um, possibilities, the broader range of 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 meditation techniques, I think this makes it more exciting. I found when I first meditated, um, and I, and when I was first taught to meditate, it was mm -hmm. almost like okay, we're going to bore you know, my mind into <laughs> non-existent, you know, which is a right. difficult thing to do um, because the mind always comes up with something. <laughs> yes. But I actually could not do it. I had to go to a visualization kind of meditation. Mm. I could mm. not just watch the breath or do any of those things. I couldn't do it. I would, yes. I, th I believe I went out of body. I would just kind of almost go unconscious and then mm. come to in about a half hour have no <laughs> idea what went on sometimes i would start off meditating and when i came to i was doing the dishes <laughs> and it was like wow what was that <laughs> and um so i actually went away to it and then came to a visualization kind mm. of meditation and in some in many of the meditations i've read in your book you use those visualizations, um, yeah. like the mountain uh, meditation was one of them, you know, and using that visualization. Um, I don't want to yeah. jump into those yet, you know, in a way, <laughs> <laughs> because your book is laid out, I believe. Is it true mm. that it's laid out to build on each one of them? So you're starting at the root chakra, and that's where I want to ask mm. about the chakra personalities. Mm. Hmm. What are the chakra personality types? Of course, chakra personality types, they have nothing to do with meditations because in, oh, the, okay. in, in the book itself, I, I, I do use the, 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 the chakras. chakra principle in order to mm -hmm. classify the, the overwhelmingly diversified world of meditation. So it helps me to categorize uh, the, uh, the 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 world of meditation, but uh, but the chakra types are actually a certain uh, innovative method. It's something that that I developed uh, uh, years ago, um, based on my uh, what you can consider my expertise or my uh, um, uh, understanding of 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 the system of of the chakras. So at a certain point, because I, I had been initiated into, into a certain tradition, a Hindu tradition called the Nityananda tradition, and this tradition is, is entirely focused on what is called Kundalini and the chakras. So how to awaken Kundalini, how to awaken the chakras, how to work with our subtle body. Mm -hmm. But then, uh, so, so, so this, this kind of education had been all about uh, uh, treating the chakras as energy centers, naturally, as, uh, and, and a sort of uh, a ladder of development that you climb toward final illumination. Mm -hmm. But then I, I came to discover that chakras actually have an, a, a deeply personal dimension, not only uh, universal, and this means that each one of us is born with a certain, with a certain uh, a set of chakras, a certain uh, three-type uh, structure 
which means that, that three chakras are stronger than others. One is the major personality type, and this is our very core, the core of our soul. And this, this one determines our deepest attractions, our deepest fulfillment, our deepest sense of meaning and happiness in life. So by the way, this, this implies that there is no one prescription for happiness and there is no one prescription for meditation. Mm-hmm. So in meditation has to be individually tailored according to your chakra type. So, so when, when I, uh, that, that, that was, I think, a, a thrilling discovery. And I began to, to imagine, to meditate on what w- would a personality, a complete personality uh, based on a certain chakra look like. If suppose you, a, a, a personality would emerge from a certain chakra, what, it would, what would it look like? How would it behave? What would mm-hmm. it be? What would its, its fears and shadows be? So this, this led to, to, uh, to a certain book, The Seven Chakra Personality Types. And right now I'm working on the, on the sequel. <laughs> <laughs> There's a sequel to that, huh? <laughs> right, yes. yes. Um, so what would the, the, because you say too, the, the monkey mind as it's called, or the, the you know, mind machine or the, you know, the, the constant chatter. Yes. Um, you say that that is the root chakra is out of balance. Now, who, mm-hmm. what personality is the root chakra? And I take it that we're all a little bit of these, that we all have a little root chakra um, personality going on. But what is the personality for the root chakra? Yeah, that, that's beautiful. Well, we, first of all, we need to differentiate between two, two uh, um, uh, elements. First of all, there, is, there are our imbalances, our universal imbalances uh, in the root chakra. And then there is the root chakra personality type, which means if you are a root chakra personality type, you have a certain personality that, that, that emerges from, from the root chakra. This is your center of gravity. This is where you, where you experience yourself, where you perceive the world. So, so in this sense, of course, all of us have, have a, a, some, of, some of the, uh, the seven chakras in us, mm-hmm. generally. But but the root chakra personality type is the is the one that that uh, that is most invested in in grounding in routine in the small details of life in technicalities. Uh, you you can say the root chakra is is what they say God is in the detail. You see, mm-hmm. so so the root chakra loves routine and loves family and loves uh, belonging to to uh, to certain frameworks and certain structures, uh, religion, nationality. They like uh, having a home, an established home, and they, and they are very calm beings that mm-hmm. uh, uh, that that prefer continuity. They don't like uh, uh, spontaneity, spontaneity and and disruptions and sudden changes. Actually, their biggest traumas are when their life <laughs> has mm-hmm. has turned upside down without their uh, uh, them being ready. Or willing, <laughs> mm, or um, when they've lost control. Exactly. When yeah, exactly. when they've lost control. 
Yeah. Exactly. So so they have this kind of quarrel with life that that they want life to to remain unchanging forever, which doesn't mm-hmm. work for them. <laughs> right. <laughs> yes. That's a tough thing to do. <laughs> well, you'd go stagnant too, which nobody really that's not good. You know. Right. But I'm going to take a break now and when we come back, let's talk some more about the chakras and the chakra meditations and you actually put it out in your book that you build on those meditations so we'll be right back follow voice america at facebook.com forward slash voice america for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts one thing's for certain life is uncertain do you navigate the unknowns Visit aviewthroughtheveil.com to sign up for psychic readings and classes with Barb Crowley. You can schedule one-to-one sessions with Barb for personal and relationship counseling, pet communication, mediumship, career and business direction, or sign up for one of her classes. Everyone has answers through the metaphysical plane, but they need help to access them. Get the help you need today. Visit aviewthroughtheveil.com. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are listening to Metaphysics, A View Through the Veil with Barb Crowley. To reach the live show, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to a view through the veil at gmail.com. Now back to the show. Hi, this is Barb Crowley, and we're back with Shai Tabali, and we're talking about the different meditations. And in his book, he has based them or, or structured it out, the meditations based on the chakras. And we were talking about the root chakra, which um, some people can be more root chakra than others, but we all have root chakra and, and um, you know, parts of that personality in us. That is the survival. And we all have the survival instinct in us. But while we were on break, we actually started to talk about the trauma, that that trauma is in the root chakra. So if you want to take it from there and what goes on in the root chakra that, that yes, I, is addressed mm-hmm. by meditation and can be healed, really, by meditations. So At I'm going to give that back yes. to you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that, that's, that's a wonderful point. Uh, let, let's, let's explore it uh, for a moment. Uh, well, the root chakra is all about uh, being able to to put our feet on the ground. Uh, and now the thing is to to, to feel to, to feel that we can uh, place our feet on the ground and feel safe on 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 Earth. Now the thing is that 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 because well uh, the Earth uh, is is shaky. <laughs> the earth is not a stable place. This is not a play, uh, stable place to be. We, uh, we, uh, whenever there is a trauma, there is actually, uh, these are the moments in which life tells us I am not a safe place to be. There, I am, I am a place of sudden changes. 
So even if you are uh, fantasizing about an unchanging life uh, without the disruption, without the danger, from time to time you will get this kind of glimpse into the true nature of me. You see? So, but, so whenever we have the, this, uh, this kind of disruption and we are unprepared, which means that we haven't worked on ourselves meditatively, we haven't balanced and awakened our, our root chakra, we will be shocked. We will be utterly surprised and, and, uh, and, and, uh, and we will develop certain imprints that will transform into, into these fundamental anxieties and worries in the root chakra, which will consequently uh, project themselves onto the screen of our mind, which means that we will begin to experience this worry and anxiety and, and, and the wish to control our life, because this is what our, our thinking does, right? It always tries to control every moment to make sure that, that, that it is on top of things, that, that nothing that gets out of hand. That exactly. basic of, are we safe? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Which is exactly. at the root. Yeah, at the root. <laughs> yes. So exactly. in doing a meditation on that, so let's say we've had a trauma, mm. and now we're sensitized to that type of, of threat, really, mm. is, is mm. what it seems like. Um, what kind of a meditation would you do? to go into that trauma? Yes, that, that, that's a very good question. Well, first of all, I would like to remark that, 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 that the way meditation helps to heal our traumas is by revealing to us or by helping us to develop what we can call inner stability. Inner stability means that we're no longer expecting life to be a stable place because we are finding within ourselves a certain unchanging center and there we can finally rest. This is the healing uh, effect of, trauma, uh, of, of meditation. And now the, the best meditations for these are, well, naturally, the, the first, the root chakra <laughs> group of meditations. And mm -hmm. why is that? This is because the root chakra group of meditations helps us to finally align our body and mind. This means that we learn how to place ourselves within the body, how to settle into the body, and even physically how to learn to stand and walk on, on the earth. So, for instance, there is walking meditation in which you develop a, a mindfulness while uh, paying a great deal of attention to your, to your walking, a slow-paced walking there is standing meditation where you're standing like a tree. And this helps to unblock all kinds of, of stagnations and emotional patterns, physical uh, uh, twists. Uh, there is body scan. Body scan is a, is a very popular uh, technique nowadays developed by uh, the mindfulness leader, John Kabat-Zinn, based on Buddhist principles, in which you simply begin to make friends with your bodily sensations just as they are. In this way, you increase your ability to cope with pain, to live with pain. And there is, of course, mindfulness of breathing. So, so these are examples of root chakra meditation techniques. They help you to ground and they help you to place your feet on the ground. And to be fully in body. 
to to yes. be fully in body and to uh, blend your spirit to your body. It's exactly, exactly, yeah. exactly. Because in in trauma, well, we we left the body. Mm-hmm. In order to protect ourselves, yeah. we are not present, and and we begin to develop this habit of not really being inside the body, but hovering over it somehow. You see, mm-hmm. <laughs> so so we need to learn how to how to to return our presence into the body and to actually uh, uh, be fully well, fully incarnated. That's that that's the the the, the actual world world. Now, um, a trauma can pop you out of body, but yes. can you also be born into the world and not be in body and maybe from past lives or just a habit that we've learned before we got here or something where we are out of body that it, that is natural it wasn't a trauma in this lifetime, but it is natural for us to be out of body, and we have to relearn to be in body. Can can that be happening? Yeah, that that's very perceptive. You you, you know that that for this reason exactly because I I had worked with a, a, a trauma healing based on on the on the expanded uh, the, the power of expanded states of consciousness for many years. But at a certain point, I realized that that for some people, you simply cannot trace back the, their uh, their uh, traumas or the or the major imprints to some kind of early childhood experiences. So then I needed to to go back in time even further, and then I started uh, developing a set of techniques designed for hidden what I call hidden memory therapy, hidden memory is those unconscious memories that we have inside us, they are completely active and we experience them strangely uh, just as we would experience any uh, other conscious memories. So, so these explain, the, the existence of these hidden memories explains the, the, the reason that some of us well experienced uh, that, that they, for instance, resist entering the body, don't want even to be born, mm-hmm. don't want to enter the womb. Uh, so, so we have some kind of a, of a very ancient struggle with life. And to relieve this struggle or to, to undo this struggle, you have to return to that moment when it was first, first formed. So you have to go into past lives to find it. You have to go to that yes. core or is there any chance that something happened, you got over the trauma, but you're now in the habit of being out? That it's that, you know, maybe the trauma, you know, maybe popped you out, but you, you've healed that trauma, but now you're in the habit of being out, you know, and it's no longer a natural thing to be in body. Does that make I, sense? Mm. So, so you mean a state in which you are, uh, even if you have healed your trauma, you still are already in the habit of not being in the body. Right. Right? right. Yeah. Uh, Where you, you kind yes. of, it's just a bad habit, kind of. <laughs> mm, mm, you know, and mm. you've got to break a bad habit and reestablish a new habit of being in body. Yes. Is there yes, that, that, that is like correct. That? 
I would just add that, that this is what I, I sometimes call uh, our life narrative, narrative or our life theme. Because for some of us, there is a certain, uh, for each of us, there is a certain fundamental friction with which we came into this world. So mm -hmm. for some of us, this particular, the particular friction would be not wanting to be here and the struggle to, to agree to be human, right? So, mm -hmm. so then the, the beautiful thing about this, if we want to embrace a, a positive approach to, to this kind of struggle, is that, is that this becomes your master. So it's not necessarily meant to, to, to disappear so quickly. It's meant to follow you and to keep teaching you. So whenever you remove a certain layer of resistance and you are a little more inside your body, you, you have uh, uh, come closer to the resolution of, your, of this fundamental friction. Mm -hmm. And this can be brought in, that you've brought in. So you, you mm -hmm. through meditation, can learn what it is, can heal it? Okay. Yes. You're shaking yes. your head yes, and we're on radio. <laughs> so, so that oh. answer was yes. <laughs> no, I, I was okay. expecting some kind of, of a continuation. Yes. Uh, <laughs> yes, uh, but, but, but only partly. We need to understand, of course, meditation is not, is not a, a magic pill that, that helps mm -hmm. you to, uh, to, to release or to... Uh, or that replaces all your psychological and therapeutic work. So, for instance, we, you might need to, to go through a trauma therapy, mm -hmm. but at the same time, and this is the amazing thing about meditation, uh, is, that, is that it helps you to heal by doing two things. First, it floods you with positive emotions. I think this is a, a, a therapy in itself to be flooded with, with the experience of positivity and not just be focused on, on your uh, negativity and wounded self and so on. Right. And second... So what, you what like life. So you start to like life. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You, you get, yes, this is an incentive. Mm -hmm. um, and the second thing is that meditation helps you to experience directly a place in you that has remained forever unaffected by trauma. You see, because we experience that our, that our whole being has been shaped and, and, and damaged uh, by, by the presence of trauma, by, by the presence of our blows and disappointments. But actually, there is a certain place in us that has remained completely pure, free, and, and blissful. So if you know this place, it will be far easier for you to get rid of, the, of this habit, mm -hmm. the traumatic habit. Right. And you can release the traumas from that point of, of, yes. of bliss, basically, of joy. Exactly. Exactly. That that's positive therapy. Yes. Yes. Right now, you you said it's not a magic pill, so I'm going to bring up psychedelics, <laughs> 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 which some people are now taking as a ma yes. magic pill to to change their thought pattern to to um, free them from thought yes. patterns. And how is as do you you're saying that you can 
use a meditation to do this rather than psychedelics to do it. And and how long does it take? Psychedelics, one night, you know. <laughs> you know. <laughs> yes. But how long yes. does a meditation take? <laughs> well, that 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 that's a certain a certain uh, technique that I developed uh, that is that is called expansion for trauma. Expansion for trauma uh, means that that you that you actually reach expanded states of consciousness, and from these expanded states, you revisit and transform your traumatic memory. Because I don't think you we are un, we are really able to to revisit and transform our traumatic memories from the from the the ordinary level of thinking and feeling we need to somehow transcend these and to and to, to have some kind of a bird's eye vision and the and the sense of 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 inherent liberation so now the thing is that this is very interesting you see because because people uh, definitely begin to discover the the therapeutic value of of uh, of psychedelics and we now know that uh, that research has joined the celebration which is i think is a, is a, is a blessing but we also need to to understand to understand why it is that psychedelics heal traumatic memories the reason uh, is shared by meditation the reason is that that higher states of consciousness can heal. So if you establish yourself, if you know how to establish yourself in these higher states using certain techniques, you will not require uh, some kind of external external support. Because, because the downside of psychedelics is that you still feel that it's the psychedelic or the psychoactive plant that has redeemed you that has led you to liberation and then perhaps you will develop some kind of dependency on it to, to feel, uh, to, to experience this transcendence. But what if we understood that we have this inherent in our consciousness, in our mind, this self-liberating power? We can do that. We only need to know how to reach these states. How e easy is it to do that? Because, you know, we see the monk on the mountain, you know, who has spent a lifetime or many lifetimes getting yes. there. And um, most of us can't devote that kind of time, nor, frankly, do we want to. We, you know, we're more <laughs> of an instant society now. Yes. You yes. know, and, um, you know, the monk on the mountain has removed himself from life, and most of us have to be very active in life. So, yes. so you know, we need the blend, but we also need to yes. get there. So, yes. and, and, you know, you, you put it out in your book. I just want to tell everybody this, that, that there's, you, can, you can build. I mean, there's, there's a starting point, and then there's mm. a build, and there are so many different meditations that you're going to find the one that works for you, that will match you, yeah. you yes. know. But still, um, is it going to take a lifetime or many lifetimes? <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it, it depends on what, what you seek, what, what, your, what your purpose is because you see the monk sits on the mountain uh, and renounces the world because because he or she seeks complete liberation or complete enlightenment. 
So that that is that is a very ambitious mountain peak, you see, mm-hmm. because yeah. what what they, what they really want is to reach a state in which they have perfectly and irreversibly detached themselves or disengaged from any dependency on the world whatsoever. So they've mm-hmm. released their soul completely. Now that is a that is a noble uh, ambition, and uh, and I admire that. But I think that for most of us, we are not interested in going that far. So, right. so I think for us, it's enough to, to understand, for instance, that meditation can, can allow us to experience intimacy with ourselves, sometimes for the first time. There, is a, there was a, the 20th uh, uh, century uh, mystic, Yogananda, and he said meditation is like giving a hug to yourself. And this is so simple and so heart-opening, right? Because you immediately feel that, that this is why you would meditate, for instance, just, just, to, just to sit and, and experience this kind of, of, of closeness to yourself, not, mm-hmm. not experiencing yourself uh, through self-image, through the way others perceive you, not through uh, some social mirror, but finally being you. Resting including psychedelics, not, not needing an outside um, way to do it. Yeah, an outside, yes. you know, plant or whatever. Yeah, exactly. That, so exactly. there's a seniority and there's an acceptance and a knowledge of yourself that mm. only you have. Yes. That is a personal. That is a personal. Um, yes, now, in doing this, you talk about the ever young mind and keeping um, the cognitive aging at bay. Mm. And, <laughs> and how does that work? <laughs> Again, let's still go for the <laughs> go for the instant stuff. <laughs> well, yes, this is this is a, a, a different type of meditation practice. Uh, uh, Deriving from from my actually from my PhD thesis again, this is a, I studied a certain a certain mystic uh, uh, who lived in the 20th century called Jiddu Krishnamurti, and Jiddu Krishnamurti had a certain uh, developed a certain uh, unusual practice of meditation, which is asking yourself a question, posing a certain question. And then instead of rushing to answer it, you're holding it within your mind and you keep returning to the question, you're listening to the question because you're realizing that the, the answer lies in the question. So what, whatever answers uh, appear inside you, they are considered uh, conditioned responses of your mind. So, so you go through some kind of a process of negation. You're, you're saying it's the, the answer is, is not this, the answer is not that, this is not the answer. You're just using, using the question to eliminate all, all your past baggage, you see? All your, all your accumulation, because the, this accumulation makes the mind uh, uh, like a hoarder, which means that the, the mind hoards and, and accumulates and never gets rid of accumulated knowledge, information, memories. So this is a process in which you, you allow this kind of renewal of your mind, and this makes your, your mind light and ecstatic. So I, I love this practice. <laughs> 
<laughs> in in your book, you build on the chakras and it starts with the root, the first chakra, and it goes yeah. through the different chakras. And and that is one way to do it. But can you skip ahead? Can you like the <laughs> I, I was fascinated by the inner cave of the heart. And we talked about mm. this a little bit before we got on that you yes. actually talk about where to find that and how to find that. And would I need to go to the root chakra and the second chakra and all of that to build up to that? Or can I sit down and actually do that meditation without well, having yes. gone through all the other meditations? <laughs> that, that, that's the wonderful, the wonderful thing is that you, it, it shouldn't be that boring, you see, of, of this kind of ladder, of, of meditative ladder. You can actually open your book randomly and just say, mm-hmm. well, let's, do, let's try this. Let's do that. The, 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 this title That's attracts great. me. And, and the, because this makes meditation an adventure, you see? Mm-hmm. So, and the, the inner cave of the heart is one of my favorite uh, uh, meditations ever. It's actually uh, extremely ancient. Uh, uh, it, was, uh, it appeared for the first time uh, about 2,700 years ago in, uh, in, uh, in the Upanishads, which are the uh, ancient scriptures of India. And there we learn that, that actually our innermost self hides within something that is called the inner cave of the heart. Now, this sounds metaphorical, but then you begin to realize that it's actually there is a, ge- a certain geography, a certain territory <laughs> for the inner mm-hmm. cave of the heart. Now, the thing is that, that, that our, the outermost layer of our heart is the superficial layer where we get life's blows and disappointments when we experience life's heats, you see? So this is, this is the... Let me back up a little yes. bit that, that it is not where we think our heart is. This is in the center um, uh-huh, of your, yes. uh, between, between your breasts, basically, exactly. in the center. And, exactly, and a little yes, bit, yes. yeah, so, you know, because people will go to where their physical heart is, mm. and yet you say it is not there. It is not yes. there. So, yes, exactly, exactly. This is a very important point. Uh, it's midway between the two breasts. Now, the, now, now if you, if you uh, uh, move with your uh, imagination deep into the chest, which means that you don't remain in the in the outermost layer, but you move more more and more deeply uh, in front of the spine, mm-hmm. uh, just in front of the spine, uh, facing facing uh, backwards. There you find what is called the inner cave of the heart, which means that, that that the inner cave of the heart lies very deeply inside your chest, behind the superficial layers which contain all your uh, wounded emotions, your traumas, your disappointments, your self-image, your relationship with yourself, uh, your inner, your deepest conflicts. But if you move more and more deeply to that point, just in front of the spine, facing backwards, there you find what is called the inner cave, which means that it's hidden, it's dark, but inside it you find a certain, a certain uh, light, and this light is the light of your true self. And what is amazing is that when you begin to rest in this inner cave, you're experiencing that your, that your heart is also a certain dimension of complete unaffectedness, 
that it hasn't is never been infiltrated by all those traumas and memories and wounds. So that's profound restfulness. Mm-hmm. Wow. And you know what? We're going to have to stop on that. Oh, okay. <laughs> We've actually, I know, <laughs> you know, there's so much more. But yes. yeah, power psychology, you know, yes, I know. So everybody <laughs> has to go out and buy your book now. <laughs> so let's talk about where we can find your book and where we can find you. Well, the, the book is everywhere, of course, on, on Amazon and, and on any, any kind of a digital, digital bookstore. And uh, of course, in, uh, in, in bookstores uh, around the, uh, the US and, uh, and, and all over the world. But mm-hmm. uh, and, and if you want to, to get to know my work first, you can, you can enter my official website, which is Shai Tubali, S H. A-I-T-U-B-A-L-I.com. So this is, this is my official website. It, it contains a, a blog and articles, videos, and, uh, and, in, and introductions, in, an introduction to my work. And then there is my official YouTube channel, which contains a great abundance of videos, uh, including guided meditations and uh, and uh, uh, videos explaining how we can integrate the meditative perspective in into our daily life so i think that that would be a great entry point mm-hmm. and and i want to tell everybody do not get intimidated that oh my god i can't do this you can do this a little imagination and a little sense of adventure will bring you there to experience what you talked about as the heart the um the cave of the heart it is, uh, I just want everybody to know, don't get intimidated. Go with it like you're getting on a ride. <laughs> so that's Wonderful. great. So thanks so much for being on. It's a great book. I think everybody should go out and, and get it and try some of these meditations. So go to your YouTube channel and have you do the guided meditation. That would be fabulous. Thanks so much for being on the show. I've really enjoyed Thank it. You, Bob. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. It's been a great joy. Thank you. Thanks. Have a great weekend. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us for Metaphysics, A View Through the Veil. Please tune in for another edition with your host, Barb Crowley, next Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Enjoy your upcoming weekend.